Um, is, does anyone need a copy of the handout for this morning? If you raise your hand, Matt will bring you one. One on the front row, one on the back row, right? Anyone else? This, the, the notes this morning are a continuation from last week. I have a few extra copies left over from last week if anyone would like to have one. They're right up here on the, on the front. And um, when you look at the notes, page four is duplicated from last week and this. But I put it in last week's. We didn't use it, so it's the beginning of this week. So confusion as it is. Okay. Let's have a word of prayer together, and then we'll, we'll get started. God, your word is, is your heart to your people. And it's critical that we understand your word so that we can understand your heart and we understand all that you have for us, all that you expect of us. So God, we just ask that for this morning that you would help us to put our hearts and our minds on your word and to be open to all that you have there. Lord, your word tells us that the Spirit of God takes the word of God transforms the child of God into the image of God for the glory of God. And that's what we ask you to do this morning. And it would all be to your glory now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, what book are we studying? What book? Ruth, right. And if you weren't here last week, you'll have to understand, I announced that we needed to turn to the book of James. Okay? So after studying for two months and getting ready, you know, all this, I announced that we need to turn to the book of James, but it will be the book of Ruth, and it will be for the next four weeks, so uh, just put you on, on notice. There's no telling what I'm going to say when I get up here, okay? So you just have, have grace on me and uh, patience with me, and we, we believe that God's Word is, is worth it, and we study and we apply ourselves, we apply the, seek to apply the Word of God to us. Ruth is a very applicable book. There's so much truth in there that, that relates to our lives today. You know, we started out last week talking about the fact that, you know, here's a, um, a family that lived centuries ago under totally different circumstances than what we have today. How can that be applicable to us, you know? And yet God's Word is is the same throughout the centuries, isn't it? You know, two things we talked about that shape our lives. One is the will of God. The other is our response, our choices that we make in light of the Word of God. So no matter whether you're living in, you know, in the first century or in the 21st century, God's will has never changed and never will. And unfortunately, left to himself, man's heart has never changed and never will. So we are battling the same battles that they did back then, you know. And God's call to us is still faithful obedience to what he reveals to us. God's best for any man, any time, is a faithful choice based on God's covenant promises. Every day of our lives, we have to make choices. We're going to see out of the book of Ruth how 
they had choice after choice to make. Sometimes they blew it, sometimes they were right on target. But it's the same with us. God wants us to be faithful to follow his way. You know, the elders have a, a saying, you've heard it before, faithful in the next decision. You know, so often we don't really know what God's next decision is for us. You know, as a church, as individuals or whatever. But what God wants us to do is to, to focus on him, focus on his word, apply his word, and then be faithful to what he tells us in the next decision that we have to make. And if we do that, God will keep us on path and he'll keep us moving along. So um, in the book of Ruth, we see, um, we see a work of God in the lives of his people in the era of redemption and revival. Okay? Redemption in that they, like we make mistakes, they get off the path. Okay? God redeems, God brings back, God pulls us out of the pits that we dig for one another and puts us back on the right path. And then he grants us revival in our lives. And we're going to be seeing that over the next, the next several weeks. Okay? So God's work of redemption and revival is on display in the lives of, of uh, Ruth and Naomi uh, and, uh, and their families. Now, under the leadership of Joshua, the people of God, of God had entered the, the land, the promised land that God had given them. He gave them directions for div dividing the land, for uh, taking possession of the land. And while their obedience wasn't perfect, they were, in fact, this was becoming a reality. They were taking the land, okay? They were establishing their homes, you know, in the new promised land. So, and all of the days of Joshua and all of the days of the elders that followed him, the people walked in obedience to God, okay? The people served the Lord. Joshua's, uh, talk, the book of Joshua talks about that. All the days of Joshua, the elders and all the elders that followed him the people of God serve the Lord. But then in Judges 2, 7 through 10, it says, There arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which the Lord had done for them. And that's something that ought to strike fair in the hearts of parents and, and grandparents, that within a couple of generations, a nation could move so far away from God where they once knew him, they understood his work, Scripture says that there arose a generation who didn't know him or even the works of the Lord. Can you imagine the works that God did in the lives of his people? The parting of the Red Sea, the destruction of, of Jericho, all of these things within a generation or two, they were not still impacting the, the, the Lord's people. Okay? So as a result of that, there, there, became, there was apathy and there was rebellion, there was anarchy in the lives of the people. They were pulling further and further away from the will of God. So what we see happening, and I'm giving you just this just by way of background so you can understand the times in which we're talking about. But over a period of 350 years, cycles started forming. Cycles of obedience and disobedience started forming in the lives of, of, the, na of, the, nation, of the nation and also in the lives of the individual people. And the cycle would run to where the people would rebel against God. Okay? 
as a result of that rebellion, God would bring judgment and discipline into their lives in order to turn them back. As a result of that discipline, the people would, would repent, okay? They would turn back, and God would give them deliverance. God would give them blessing only to have them rebel again. And it kind of sounds like they never learned their lessons, do they? You know, they went from rebellion to judgment to repentance, okay, to deliverance and blessing, and right back into rebellion again. And so this is a time in which the book of Ruth takes place. If you look in the very, very first words in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, it came about in the days when the judges governed. Okay? That tells us the times in which the book was, the people were living in this time. Okay, so God, as a result of this, established judges to rule over his people. Now, these judges were not like what we consider to be judges today. They were actual many monarchs. They were kings. They were, um, uh, they led in battle, okay? They were generals. They were from every walk of life, okay? And they also, some served out of an act, out of obedience, and in a few instances, God actually used their, uh, them in disobedience, in rebellion. Look at, um, at Samson, how he rebelled against God, and yet he was one of the judges. God used him to accomplish his will uh, in the lives of his people. So this was the time in which Naomi lived, and we see in chapter 1, verse 1, that there was a famine in the land. Now, this was part of that cycle, okay? The nation had, the, uh, in the time of Ruth, they had rebelled against God. Now he's bringing this famine into their lives, not so much just to purity punish them, but to discipline them and cause them to turn back to God. And we're going to be talking this morning about the, the critical need to understand the difference between punishment and discipline. That's going to come out in the life of Ruth. So right at the time that we, we get into, uh, into uh, Naomi and Ruth's life, we're, we're in a time when they're caught right in the middle of this famine. Now, Elimelech had the husband of Naomi had to make a decision. What was he going to do? Was he going to stay in Bethlehem where he had been born, where he had been raised, where God had put him? Was he going to stay there and trust God to work through this famine? Or was he going to take his family and move to greener pastures? Okay? And so we find out, um, we talked last week at the very end of the, of the session about his choice for his family, and we're going to review that this morning. But God had pretty well made it clear to his people that when he put them in a particular position, particular place, that basically he, he expected them to stay there. We looked at Genesis 26 um, to see God's heart. Now, again, he's talking to a different people at a different time, but we're seeing the expression of his, his heart and what he would expect out of his people. In 26.1, it says, And there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar, to Elimelech, uh, king of the Philistines. And it says, And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. 
during this time of famine, do not go down to the land of Egypt, but stay in the land of which I will tell you. Sojourn in the land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. Okay, there's the promises of God. I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all of these lands. And then the promise, he says, I will establish the oath which I made to your father Abraham. Now that's not to say that God never wants his people to move, but in situations like this, when God allows these famines and all, his heart expressed here is that the people stay and trust him. Okay? That that they not run for it, that they not look so much for greener pastures, but that they trust him. Okay? Now again, that's not to say that God never brings circumstances in our lives to move us from one place to another. But apparently, obviously, looking back in the life of Ruth, Naomi, and Elimelech, it would probably have been better for them had they stayed where they were. And yet, God in his grace, we're going to see, is going to use that move and all of the things that happen in their lives to do the work that he wants to do. So at the very top of your, of your notes there, just a little bit in the way of review, we see that Elimelech did make the choice for his family to leave the land of promise. Okay, it's in verse 1. It says, And, um, and a certain man of Bethlehem in, in uh, Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. Now, it tells us that he went to sojourn. That means he went apparently with his initial intention was to go and stay just for a short time. You know, times were bad. They didn't have enough food. So he was going to go to this this um, foreign land just for a short time. The things got better, then I assume he would, he would come back. But then we also saw last week where the sojourn in verse 1 turned into the fact in verse 2 that he remained there and in verse 4, we find out that 10 years later, he was still in that land. You know, it's 10 years later, he was still looking for, um, for fulfillment. He was still looking for promises in a foreign land. No one, no man of God, no woman of God has a right to expect fulfillment in a foreign land, do they? You know, we don't have to move our location to move to a foreign land. You know, we can move to a foreign land anytime we get outside of God's will and we start looking for fulfillment in things other than, than what God provides for us. Okay? So we find them in, in Moab. And in verses 3 through 6, we're going to start looking at, at, at their time in Moab and some of the work that God did uh, did for them. Phil, have you got your Bible open? How about read for us, um, pick up in chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Then, verse 8, 
correct me. So they they moved to the land of Moab. Let's let's think just a few minutes about the land of Moab, the area that they went into. The Moabites came originally from an incestuous relationship between Lot and his older daughter. If you remember, right after the flood, uh, the the um, the daughters of Lot got him drunk so that they could have a child by him, and and uh, keep their heritage going. But and out of this one relationship, uh, the Moabites were born and the Moabites came into being. All through history, the Moabites and the, and the, the nation of Israel were at odds with one another. The Moabites were giving the nation of Israel problems all through, all through the centuries. Um, if you remember the um, uh, in Numbers 22, um, where uh, Barak, the, the king of, of Moab, had tried to hire Balaam to curse the armies of the, of the Israelites because they were, uh, they were prevailing against them uh, in battle. So uh, they, they hired them. They tried to, um, to get them cursed. The, the Moabite women in, in Numbers 25 had been a stumbling block to the Israelites. And they had, had Scripture says, they played the harlot with the with the daughters of Moab, and they worshipped their false gods. I mean, it was a it was a horrible, um, uh, evil uh, civilization, group of people. The Moabites were okay, and so here, Elimelech is taking his family right into the heart of this very, of this very nation. So we see, in these verses that we just read, things start unfolding. God starts. Putting, uh, doing a work in the lives of his people, some negative, some, some as we're going to see a positive. But we're going to see that the, first off, that the, the promises that Elimelech thought he saw from across the, the fence, so to speak, were, were empty promises. When they got over to, um, into, into the nation of, um, of Moab, uh, they found, uh, they felt more at home there with compromise than they had felt in their, um, in, the, in their home in Bethlehem. And this was part of God again, part God giving them basically what they wanted. So the, the promises, all of the, the, the reasons that they left to move to, move to, um, to Moab were not, were not proving fruitful to them, okay? There were promises that were empty. There were consequences also for ungodly choices. Okay, they had been there for 10 years. Um, but it says in verse 3, it says, And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with, with her two sons. Okay, so first off, Naomi, the, one of the consequences are going, Naomi loses her husband. And then we're going to see in verse 5 that both Malon and Chilion both died. So here, she's gone to these greener pastures, okay, things are not working out for them. She loses her husband. She loses her two sons. And on top of that, before the sons died, um, 
Verse 4 says that they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. Now the Moabites were, were as we talked about, they were an evil people. Okay, And had their, her sons had gone and had intermarried with these with these um, with these women, and it was a it was a totally against God's God's direction for them. Um, in um, Deuteronomy seven, get to that. Get to it here. Okay, Deuteronomy seven and uh, verse three. He, God, God severely warns them. He says, "Therefore, you shall not intermarry with them." Now he's talking about the the nations of the land. He spelled them out prior to this. He says, "Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them, nor shall you give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your sons away from following me, to serve their gods, and then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you." And he will quickly destroy you. So there was a there was a warning from the Lord that that these these people were not to intermarry. There was not to be that um, that uh, kind of trust and, and contact with them. So one of the consequences of, of, the, of the move that they had made was the fact that that uh, their sons married these Moabite women. It's also the fact that, that both of them died, the sons died, and Ruth and Naomi then were left with as destitute widows in that land. You know, to be a widow back then was, was a lot different than it is today. They had no social security to depend on. They had no income. The women, for the most part, had no way of, of, um, of even supporting themselves. So a widow back in that day was totally dependent either on their family, if the family could provide for them, or they were, they were um, basically on their own, okay? So one of the consequences of, of their, this wrong decision was the fact that, that for whatever reason, God decided to take Elimelech and both of his sons, uh, and they lost them there in, in the land of Moab. So the, the, the promises that they thought were, were there for them turned empty, and the consequences as a result of their bad choice proved to be very, very bad, very costly to them. But then God does not leave us in the land when we make mistakes. You know, when we get into the land of, into a foreign land, God loves his people, God loves his children, and he works to restore us and to bring us back. It's the story of redemption. So we see that even with all of this that's going on, we see God's hand of discipline starting to work, especially in the life of, of Naomi, to turn her back. Okay? And um, God will not allow his children to remain in a foreign land, but if necessary, he will design discipline for their lives to turn their hearts back to himself. You know, God will custom design, so to speak, the disciplines that we need in order to turn us back to him. So often when negative things start coming in our lives, we look to it as 
God's judgment on us. But that's not the case very often, especially for a believer. We know it's not the case. But it, it's, it's discipline that God chooses to use to get our eyes back on him. Look at some of the things that Naomi was going through there. Um, chapter 1, verse 13. Excuse me. Um, yeah, chapter 1, verse 13. She says, um, in the latter part, he says, No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than it is for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. She saw it, the hand of God as being against her. In verse 20, she says, um, she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, but call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And then verse 21, But I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since... The Lord has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me. You see, she was seeing God's discipline in her life as punishment, as God afflicting her, okay? And she's blaming God for it. But in reality, what God does in situations like this is to design the discipline, again, that he knows that we need to get our attention and to move us back on track he wants us to be. Okay? For a believer, all discipline is redemptive in nature. Okay? All discipline in that is redemptive in nature. Top of page five, there's a quote. It says, it's in the box, that says, the pain of God's chastening work is therefore never harsh. It is never more than what is necessary to turn us to himself. It is measured and designed to show us the emptiness of the paths we have chosen for ourselves so that we, can, so that we may return to his ways. You know, if God had allowed his children to prosper there in the land of Moab, they would have been all the more comfortable to stay. But God wanted to move them back. He wanted to move them back to Bethlehem. He wanted to move them back to the place of his promise. So he was on a bound, so to speak, to make life hard on them there in order to make them move back, in order to redirect them. But again, what seems difficult, what seems hard when we're in the middle of it is often God's blessing. In fact, for a believer, we can go the the uh, Romans 8.28, can't we? That God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him. And that's what he was doing in the lives of his people here. Pulled out just a few phrases out of Hebrews 12 that talks about God's discipline. Just so that we could see a picture maybe of, of, God's, of God's heart and what he what he's doing in their lives. Uh, Hebrews 12 says, Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. God deals with you as with sons. He disciplines us for our good so that we might share his holiness. To those who are trained by it afterwards, it yields 
the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You know, as a child of God, um, we can expect, we can understand the discipline that he brings into our life sometimes as an, as an expression of his love. You know, It is for our good. It is so that we can share his holiness. It is so that we can be trained by him. You know, It is so that the peaceful fruit of righteousness can be developed in our lives. And yet so often we, we, we fight against it. You know, we blame God. We don't see it as being from God. But in fact, it really is. You know, God is being proactive. We are seeing God's redemptive work alive in the life of Ruth and Naomi, and we see it also in our own lives. One of my favorite verses is Second Samuel 14, 14. It says, Yet God does not take away life, but he plans ways so that the banished one will not be cast out from him. God plans ways so that one who is, he calls it here, the banished one, one who is out of God's will, perhaps, one who has fled to, to Moab, that that person can, can be restored Okay, that he can be brought back. God just doesn't leave us in our Moabs. He comes to us. He arranges our circumstances. He works sovereignly through those to bring us back, to help us to, to, uh, to bring us back to a point of blessing. Okay? So we see that in the, in the life of, of God's children here. We see promises that were empty. We see curse, consequences that uh, because of ungodly choices, and we see discipline in their lives, okay? But everything happens on God's schedule and in God's perfect timing. And in um, verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Then, there arose, then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return to the land, for she had heard that the Lord had visited, that the land of Moab had been, let me start over, for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Now, so right in the midst of all of this, all of the discomfort and all that they were experiencing, they heard the good news that God had visited the nation of Israel. He had given them food. This is another sign of that continuing cycle. Okay, God had, the people had rebelled, God had, had had um, had brought these brought these um, uh, disciplines into their lives to get them back, and apparently they were returning. The nation was returning back to where God wanted them. So He was free then once again to break that famine and to start and to send them the food in the land. So she heard that the people that the Lord had visited His people, and she determined in her heart that this was the time for she and her two daughters-in-law to return um, to the land of, um, to return to Bethlehem. Um, so we see here a picture, again, of, of the revival and blessing that the Lord, of the Lord that came as a result of her brokenness and repentance that's, that's beginning to work in her life. Haven't seen it completely yet, but we're seeing it starting to move. Okay? Just as God had worked, was working these cycles in the nation of Israel, he was also working a cycle in the 
in the life of these people. Okay, they had rebelled. He had brought the pressures into their lives, and they were responding or getting ready to respond, and he was ready to pour out blessing upon them. So let's take a look at the road back, okay? What it took to get back to the land of God's blessing. Uh, I need someone with a good, strong voice to read Ruth 1, 6 through 18 for me. 1, 6 through 18. Okay. So here we have Naomi with a commitment that this is the time that she needs to return to the land of Bethlehem. Okay? This is the time that God has blessed them there. Her, her, her Moab experience is dried up on her, so to speak, and she's ready to move back. She's got a choice that she needs to make because since she left her homeland, she's acquired now, acquired now two daughters-in-law, two Moabite daughters-in-law. So is she going to take them with her or is she going to, to leave them in the land of Moab? This is a decision, a choice again that had to be made. She, Ruth doesn't really, um, excuse me, uh, Naomi doesn't really know what kind of reception is going to be waiting for when she gets back. But it's a pretty good chance that if she comes home with two Moabite daughters-in-law, it's not going to go as well for as as she might like. And also, those two daughters-in-law would be a constant reminder to her of in the future of her rebellion and her, her getting out of God's will. So she, we see her dealing, trying to deal with that and um, in these verses. And four times she's, she's ready to go. In fact, they, they start on their way. Scripture says they started the way. They departed from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law with her. 
But then we see that four times along the way, she encourages her daughters-in-law to leave her and to go back to their people. It appears that, that Naomi didn't want them to come along. Okay? Look at um, verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house, to, your, to her mother's house. She reminds them of mama's home, you know, maybe mama's cooking, whatever. She encourages them, go back to mama, okay? Go back to your mother's house, okay? In verse 11, she says, return my daughter, should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands, okay? I have no, more, I have no sons for you. I have no husbands for you. Go back. Go back to your people. You know, find your husbands back there. Okay, and then, um, let's see, she, uh, verse 11, did I skip one? They return my daughters, um, why should you go with me and then return because I don't have a husband for you? And then down in verse 15, she says, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So four times Naomi is suggesting that Ruth go back. Okay, the last one, to me, is it kind of shows maybe Naomi's heart. He she says, "Return, go back to her. Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You know, why don't you go do the same?" Is what she's saying. Here, she's encouraging her to go back to this idolatrous, horrible civilization that she grew up in and to accept again the gods of her people rather than the one true God. You know, I can't it's, it's hard to understand how Naomi as supposedly as a as a uh, faith in Jehovah God could encourage her to do that, encourage her to return. But she did. Okay? She did that. So in light of that the Rook of Ruth is so full of choices that we have to make, but in light of, of Naomi's stand, the girls have to make a decision, don't they? It's a time of choice for them. So for Orpher, um, it was a pretty straightforward, simple uh, decision to make. In verse 14, she says, And they lifted up their voices and they wept, and Orpher kissed her mother-in-law. You know, Maybe that's where the expression, you know, to kiss somebody goodbye, you know, kiss it goodbye, you know, type thing. But to her, there was no, um, there was no real choice to make. She was ready to go back, okay? So when Ruth encouraged her, she hit the road. She went back to her people. She went back to the, to the, um, the people and the way of life that she had known. And, you know, this kind of gives us a dividing line because why God chose to grant grace and work redemptively in the life of Ruth and Naomi is one thing, and yet in the life of Elimelech and his two sons, there was apparently no grace as such extended to them. They were not given, they were not, they were taken out of the picture, okay? They were not uh, entrusted with the, with the pressures, with the Discipline and all that, that God entrusted the ladies with to turn them around. So in the time of choice, Ophel 
decided that she would go home. That was the, the human choice. That was the, uh, the, excuse me, the, the human choice. But Ruth, on the other hand, as we know the story, in the latter part of verse 14, it says, but Ruth clung to her. You know, this was a tremendous act of faith, a tremendous choice of faith on Ruth's part uh, to, to be willing to, to go. And she had she was expressing faith really in an unknown God. Now, we don't know what Naomi had told her, what she had learned from Elimelech about God. But for the most part, he must have seemed like a strange God with the... Um, with the uh, sacrificial system and all of the things that that um, were part of that uh, part of that system that to her were, were foreign. She had not been trained in this. She had not grown up with this. Okay, um, There was faith even in that unknown God. There was faith in God really in, in, um, in face of his chastening hand. Here she saw a God who was who was disciplining, okay, who was, he had taken her father-in-law, he had taken her husband away, and yet there was something there that caused her to trust, called something there called grace, that caused her, excuse me, I'm running out, that caused her to be able to, give her the faith <coughs> to be able to follow Naomi and the God that, 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 that uh, of the Israelites. There was also Faith in face, <clears throat> excuse me, of unknown circumstances. She was going back to a foreign nation as as a widow. She was going back with with Ruth. Um, all the questions that Ruth had, um, she was going back. You would say to a strange people with strange customs, <clears throat> and she didn't have any idea how she was going to be accepted by these people when she got back there. You know, was she going to be one odd? character among all of the other people. After all, she was a foreigner. And the, and the Moabites were looked down on by the Israelites. But she expressed faith in God in going back even with these unknown circumstances. <clears throat> and she also expressed faith in Naomi, even in all of her weaknesses. And yet, you know, true faith often defies logic, doesn't it? You know, we can look back and we can see times when God led us to make a step of faith in something and and we were confident in it and we knew that it was God's will and then when you have hindsight and you look back on that decision, you wonder how in the world with those circumstances did I make that decision. But that's grace. That's God working. That's God sovereignly moving us and doing in our lives what he wants to do. So cho Ruth's choice then was a choice of, of submission. You know, was she going to go back to face the, the music, so to speak? Was she going to go back um, to trust God to work out in her life um, the details that she no doubt couldn't see for right now? But um, Ruth at this point, and we see this especially when she gets back into Bethlehem and she starts talking to her, her friends back then. Ruth was at, a, was at a real low point in her life. She was disappointed. She was disillusioned. She was defeated. 
and rightfully so. She had been through a lot. But then we see again in God's sovereign grace, God bringing to her strength maybe that, that she needed, strength in the commitment that Ruth had to her. Now, this is beautiful. I mean, you know, this is hangs on the walls of, you know, our houses from time to time. But even in, the, in encouraging her to, to return, uh, in verse 16, but Ruth says, Do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and where and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. Now, those verses have been applied in a hundred different ways, I think, and everything from marriage uh, ceremonies to plaques on the wall or whatever. But, you know, basically, I think what we have here is the fact that that God's grace is being poured out through Ruth to Naomi. When Ruth, when Naomi was at a point that she didn't have maybe strength to go on, when she had, um, when she was down, Ruth came alongside of her, and Ruth was her strength. Ruth was the one to stand there with her. She says, where you go, I will go. Naomi's nation would be her own. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Naomi's home was going to be her own. A total commitment <clears throat> to Naomi. Your people should be my people. Naomi's people is her own. Your God, my God. Naomi's God is her own. Naomi was laying aside everything in her life in order to be with Ruth and to be what God wanted her to be for Ruth. So again, we see a very practical application of God's grace of him giving Naomi the strength and the wisdom and the encouragement that she needed right at that time. It was a commitment of surrender and sacrifice in the face of an unknown future. But it was, again, God's grace to her. And then in in verse 14, it says at the very end, it says, but Ruth clung to her. Ruth clung to Naomi. Okay? The commitment was such that this the word, the Hebrew word, and, and I don't know Hebrew, the Hebrew word that is uh, translated clung there is one that's used in Genesis 22 of the marriage bond. And it's a, it's a covenant commitment. It's not something that's light. It's something that's entered into with understanding and commitment. And it was also, it was a commitment that was made to to, uh, Naomi, but it was also a commitment that she made before God. Because she said, may the Lord do to me and so, may the Lord do to me and more if I I, uh, do not fulfill this commitment. Okay? So, Ruth was, was ready. She couldn't have understood what she had ahead of her, what the reception was going to be, what her future was going to be. But she was coming to know this God that, that, that Ruth, that Naomi served, and that she was committed to serve. And God was granting her the grace so that she could walk by faith, even in what she couldn't understand, what she couldn't see. 
in order to fulfill his perfect will for her and for Ruth. So we're going to see that when, when God brings them back in, he's prepared the, the, uh, the people in Bethlehem to receive back not only Naomi, but also to receive back Ruth with open arms. And of course, we're going to see how God provides for them, how God guides them to the perfect place of, uh, of provision, and also, of course, how God uh, brings uh, Boaz into Ruth's life as her kinsman redeemer. Now, that's a beautiful picture all in itself of God's redemption and, and his love for us. So over the next few weeks, that will, that's what we'll be opening up. I encourage you to, um, to read through the book of, of Ruth during the week as you have opportunity. It's a very short book. You can do it in about 30 minutes. And it will help you to kind of see things as they fall into place and um, how they fit together. So I would encourage you to do that. We're just about out of time. So let's pray together and then we will, we will be dismissed. Father, we thank you now for the glorious picture of your provision in the life of, of Ruth and Naomi. And God, we thank you for, for even for your chastening hand when, when that's necessary, Lord, that, that you don't allow us to, to go into our foreign lands, our Moabs, and to remain there without your loving hand of discipline discipline, working with us and bringing us back. God, we praise you that as our sovereign God that your perfect will is completed for each one of us. Lord, even when we get off track, when we, when we make decisions that are not right, uh, not always in your will, God, you bring pressure to bear in order to get us where you want us to be and so that you can complete your work in us. Now, Lord, thank you for the time we've had in your word. Thank you for the worship service that's coming up. Lord, just pray that you would be glorified in everything that we do now. In Jesus' name, amen.